So, the first week of this series, the main thing, I talked about knowing God. And then the second week of the series, I talked about cherishing your family. And then last Sunday, I talked about love your church. And if you weren't here last Sunday and think, how the heck does that figure in the top three most important things of life? Uh, I'm not going to tell you that now because I told you last week. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Check into, um, check into either our website, go to our Facebook page, go to YouTube, and you will find the recording of the message there. But if you didn't hear it, I'm going to encourage you to take a listen to that. So this week, I want to take a slightly different angle and say one of the main things and most important things in life is to guard your reputation. I think it was 2013, Jill and I were in Scotland and we were staying with her brothers in the village that we uh, had lived in and pastored in for years. And when we got there, I had this crazy thought in my mind that if there was some kind of race on that weekend we were there, I wanted to do that race. Just because all the years that I'd lived there, I would never have even considered it or been in any kind of shape for any kind of race. And it would be like a success thing. So I was out walking one morning and saw a guy I knew, about the same age as me. I knew him from when we had lived there and I said, hey, George, I know your daughter's a runner. Is there, are there any races on this weekend? And he said, yeah, on Saturdays there's the BRG challenge. So I said, what's the BRG challenge? He said, well, it goes from, and he mentioned three towns, Brock, Rosarty, Gamery. And he said, um, the race goes from those three. I said, that's a long race. He said, yeah, it's about 17 and a half miles. Now, I was looking to do a token race that made me feel good, right? I wasn't wanting to kill myself on some of the steep hills of the highlands of Scotland. But the more I thought about it, the more I, you know, thought, you know, wow, that would be a huge achievement. And then when I went online and checked, there were actually three batches of, of competitors. There was a walkers group who started first, the runners started an hour later, and the cyclists started an hour after. And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'm going to do the walkers one. But that was still a challenge because I hadn't done much because I'd had bursitis for quite a while. And the other thing was I was carrying about as much extra weight as I am now. And it's like I wasn't in my best of shapes for this race. It was hard. I'm walking the thing. I'm not running. But it was hard. Some of the steepest hills you could ever see. According to my Fitbit, in the course of doing 17 and a half miles, I went up the equivalent of 172 flights of stairs, right? That's like every mile, you also go up 10 flights of stairs. I came to about mile 13 and I was done. I was done. And you know what I told myself? One foot in front of the other, Raj. One foot in front of the other, Raj. And I told myself that for several miles, one foot in front of the other, Raj. And that's all I was cared about, it. keep going, keep going, keep going. Until we came from a side road onto a main road which had been cleared for us, 
And I knew, I mean, I know that area, so I knew now the rest of it was actually downhill into a little community nestled in the cliffs that was right on the ocean. And as I started going down that hill, I found like some fresh energy. And when I got halfway down the hill, I started to run. And my determination was, when I cross the finishing line here, I'm going to cross the finishing line running and not limping along and struggling. And, and by the grace of God, because only God could have done this for me, I ran that last half mile or so, ran down into the village. There were a bunch of local people cheering the competitors. I ran around this corner to the harbor side and across the finishing line, and I finished it strong. And if you come into my little office anytime, you'll find that medal is hanging there, and it will always hang there because I darn well earned it, okay? Finishing well is the key. And I, I just want to remind you that that's important in life too. And a lot don't finish well. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul is talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus and saying that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he knows there are some bad things are going to happen to him. And here's what he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Look at this next bit, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I'm not worried about all that. There's only one thing that I'm really worried about. What I'm concerned about is I want to finish my race with joy. Did you ever meet a miserable old person? Or two? I don't want to end up that way. You don't want to end up that way. I want to finish my race with joy. I want to end this Loving God, loving life, and with my reputation intact. Because whether you look at the church world, or whether you look at the world of entertainment, or if you look at the world of politics, you will find so many people who started well, but they crashed and burned along the way. And that's why what I want to share today is something of a warning that says, guard your reputation. Guard your reputation so that you can finish well and with joy. There's a story in the Old Testament about Saul who was going to be the first king of Israel and how God had handpicked Saul for this job and sent the prophet Samuel to anoint him and to tell him what he was going to do. And it tells us all the outstanding qualifications that Saul had. So Saul was celebrated as the king. The people loved him. He enjoyed the blessing of God. He had an extraordinary connection with God, apparently. He was handpicked by God to be the king. 
He had a personal prophet who told him all the time what God wanted him to do. So, you know what? That's a great way to be successful, right? But Saul eventually got so full of himself that he made the decision and the choice not to listen to what God said to do and to live his life the way he wanted to. And at the very end of his life, Saul was in battle and there was a, uh, one of the enemies of Israel was, was fighting them, but Saul hadn't listened to God's instructions through Samuel about how to face the battle. Saul was doing his own thing. The enemy overran them. Saul's son was killed. And Saul said to one of his soldiers, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run me through with a sword so that I don't fall into enemy's hands. And the soldier said, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. You're the king, I can't do that. And so Saul took his sword and he killed himself. You know what Saul said towards the end of his life? It's in 1 Samuel 26 and verse 21. Here's what he said. I've acted like a fool and been terribly wrong. I've acted like a fool and been terribly wrong. He started from such a privileged place. He ended up killing himself and admitting he'd been terribly wrong. Finish well. Finish with joy. So I want to remind you this morning that your reputation is invaluable. Your reputation is invaluable. Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says this, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is more desirable than great riches. I, I heard a preacher once years ago, I, 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 um, I'm not sure who it was, I, I think it was John Maxwell, who said this, and I've, I've held on to this, his definition of success. He said, success is having the respect of those who know you best. Think about it. You can impress anybody for a moment. Well, if you try hard, you can, right? You can impress anybody for a moment. But success is having the respect of those who know you best. It says pretty much the same thing over in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7 and verse 1. A good name, it says there, is better than fine perfume. A good name is better, interesting analogy, than fine perfume. 1993, I took a missions team to Russia, and we were working with a church in Moscow, and uh, one afternoon we had been out and we had been doing some street meetings, street uh, preaching and stuff in, in a big park in Moscow. And uh, there were crowds of people who had came and they stood and they listened. And uh, we would do a service and then we'd take a break and we'd start again. And there was always a crowd of people because religious freedom kind of was now a novelty since communism had fallen. And it was a beautiful summer afternoon. And believe it or not, Moscow doesn't, you know, isn't kind of sub-zero temperatures and snow all the time. So it was a beautiful, hot summer's day. And then towards the end of the afternoon, I said to the pastor, so what's the plan for this evening? He said, well, we're going to go straight from here to the church. 
so that uh, you can do some kind of preparation for the evening service, and there's some food arranged for you at the church. We'll go straight there. I said, well, any chance of going by the hotel? No, that's really out of the way. We're just going to go to the church. My concern was this. I've been preaching in this park most of the afternoon in, in blazing sunshine, and I didn't feel like I was in a, you know, I've been sweating like crazy, all right? Okay, sorry, I was trying to find a delicate way to say it, all right? I, I've been sweating like crazy, and it's like, I don't want to go to a church service like this, like, I'm going to be stinking. So he said, no, there's no way to get to the hotel. So I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So we're getting back into the vans, and as we're getting back into the vans, I said to somebody, just, just give me a second, I'll be back. So I went off to one side, and I, I dug into my bag that I had with me, and I took out my bottle of cologne. Right? I learned a new phrase that day. I'd never heard it. It was Italian shower. I'd never, I'd never heard that phrase before, and no disrespect to any Italian in this building, okay? But that's what, that's what I was told. And so somebody saw me spraying myself all over like with this, with it, with this cologne and said, oh, you took an Italian shower, did you? But it did the job. <laughs> that was the main thing. I needed something that would carry me through the whole of the evening, you know, without repulsing other people and even kind of, you know, make me smell good. The Bible says that a good reputation is better than fine perfume. It lasts longer. It's even more effective. It makes you even more attractive than fine perfume would. A good reputation. A good reputation is something that is invaluable. And, and you know what? For every one of us who's a follower of Jesus, it is so important. It is vitally important. Let, let me just make a statement now, and some of you will think it's bizarre, but that's fine. We are Jesus to a lot of people. What I mean is all they know or see of Jesus is what they see in us. Amen. And they judge our Savior by how they see us. So actually, we become the representatives of Christ once we become followers of Jesus. And we have the ability to either attract people towards Christ or to put them off. And a lot of you know that there's a lot of folks out there who say they belong to the Lord, who put people off following Jesus for themselves. Your reputation is invaluable. In the book of Romans, in the, in the start of the second chapter, the, the Apostle Paul talks to um, some of the uh, Jewish people who were rigid in their adherence to the Jewish faith. And he says to them things like, you, you, know, you know what, you, you tell other people not to steal, but you rob them blind, and, and you get them because they don't expect it from you. And here's how he sums it up, Romans 2.24. He says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles 
because of you. God gets a bad rap because of you. And you and I actually carry, I don't want this to get too heavy, but we do carry a responsibility that people draw conclusions about how God is when they see how Christ's followers are. You represent Jesus to many people. You represent the Christian faith. If that's how a Christian is, Hey, you represent Genesis too, <laughs> right? So, so how we are is a reflection of all those, all, all those things that we're, we're part of, of, of Christ himself, of the family of God, of this particular family of God, Genesis Church. Your reputation is invaluable. There's a statement in, in Acts 11 about Barnabas that I love. It says this, Acts 11:24. It says, he was a good man. I, I, I used to think that, you know, you've got to be able to say, if you say to somebody, well, he's a good man, it's like, yeah, give us something more. Now, you know what? Often you don't need more than that. That is a huge statement. If you can say about someone, he is a good man, she is a good woman, that is a huge statement to be able to make. Barnabas was a good man, and it elaborates a bit more, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, I just want you to look at that verse for a moment and see if you can see what I saw in it. And what I saw in that verse was like, almost like a progression. He was a good man. There's the starting point. He was a good man who had a great connection with God. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So he was a real active believer. And the outcome of that was a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Hey, some of us dream of the end result. Oh, I'd like to introduce other people to Jesus. But you've got to start over here. Here's where it begins. She was a good woman. He was a good man. That's where it all starts. And then the, what comes after that is what ultimately brings about that outcome. Some of you remember Jesus told a story about a, a man who went away and he, he left some of his wealth with three different people, differing amounts, and he came back afterwards after a long time and wanted to see what they'd done. And basically it was a parable that talked about I uh, was really talking about um, how much we take uh, charge, responsibility of the things of Christ. And, and when the master comes back is a picture of when we get to meet Jesus. And here's what Jesus said to one of those people. Matthew 25, verse 23. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. I just want to stop there, really. Notice the two things that Jesus commended in this man. He had taken the, the gifts that his, his, his master had given him, and he had multiplied those gifts. He had used them very well. And Jesus said to him, well done, 
good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But I want you to notice the two things. He said, well done, good, faithful. Listen, God isn't asking any of us to be spectacular. He's asking us to be good and to be faithful. The two things that Jesus is going to reward in the end day is not this person had the biggest megachurch in human history. It's were you good? Were you faithful? That's what he's looking for. You may feel that in the grand scheme of God's things, you, you, you are a little insignificant. You maybe feel as if you don't play much of a role. Listen, here's what God's interested in. Are you good? Are you faithful? Guard your reputation because your reputation is invaluable. And then I'm going to remind you of something that hopefully you are aware of. Your reputation is vulnerable. Warren Buffett once said this. He said, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Your reputation is vulnerable. I'd mentioned last Sunday that um, this past Friday now was the, that marked the day 60 years ago when I committed my life to Jesus. And uh, I was at a youth retreat. And this youth retreat was something then that, that was held every May and a bunch of churches were involved in that. And that's where I first came to really commit my life to the Lord. But that became a part of our lives right through my teenage years. Uh, the, the youth retreat every year was a significant thing for us. I don't remember a single thing that was said at those youth retreats, except I remember one sermon. And it wasn't the sermon that was preached the day I got saved. <laughs> I remember one sermon. You know why I remember that one sermon? I had no idea what the pastor was talking about. Oh, that's good. I thought somebody would say amen at that, but you didn't. Okay. That's, that's good. That's good. And because back in the olden days, we just used the King James Version of the Bible, right? And a lot of the words in the King James, you know, written in 1503, that was a long time ago. And a word meanings have changed or we don't even use some of the words. And, and, and the, what the pastor spoke on this particular Saturday evening I remember very well. It's from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, and verse 1. And here's what it says. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. <laughs> that was the bit he had. That, that was it. That was it. I think Faith's going to preach on this in youth group next <laughs> Thursday night. <laughs> dead, dead flies cause the ointment. And I'm like, What? I'm like 13 years old. I got no idea what an apothecary is. And we didn't have Google in those days. We lived in darkness. Dead flies caused the ointment of the apothecary. I really had no idea what an apothecary was. And, and well, they weren't like our church, because in our church, you'd say apothecary, and I heard it over there. Somebody said, what is it? I, and, you know, you can do that here. But, 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 but in those days, you couldn't do that, you know. You, you had to behave in church. <laughs> apothecary is a kind of a 
pharmacist or whatever, or particularly one who makes perfumes, right? So that's an apothecary. You learned something in church today. Mark this Sunday, all right? So, so an apothecary, that's what an apothecary does. So, so, so let me read that to you from a more up-to-date translation, can we? Because I do want to just dwell on the point of it. So here's the message that paraphrases uh, the Bible and makes it kind of 21st century. Dead flies in perfume make it stink. You got it now? <laughs> Why didn't they say that in the first place? Dead flies in perfume make it stink. And a little foolishness decomposes much wisdom. Now, the point that pastor made all those years ago was a very valid point, that just little things can mess up the whole thing. That was his point. There's a dead fly in a whole vat of perfume. It's going to make it stink. One little thing is going to make it stink. And a little foolishness decomposes much wisdom. We've got to be careful because it's the little things that can ruin our reputation. And, and let me say this, if, if a dead fly causes ointment to stink, the problem isn't the fly. The problem is somebody left the lid off, right? You can blame the fly all you want, but it's not the fly's fault. It's somebody wasn't taking proper care. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. If a little foolishness decomposes much wisdom, we've got to make sure we don't keep the lid off. We've got to make sure stuff doesn't get in that actually messes up our lives and our reputation. Amen. You, you know, it's, um, I, I'm going to tell you, and talking you know, specifically to those of you who are committed followers of Christ, I, I want to warn you this morning, opening the door to something small can mess up your whole life and your reputation. See, Christians don't generally jump into major sin. They slide there inch by inch. That's what happens. Because it looks good. L listen, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve, and you all know it was her fault, right? Because she, <laughs> the woman started it. So in the, garden, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve took an apple and said to Adam, you've got to try this, you know, it wasn't some kind of apple full of worms or whatever else. You've got to believe it looked really enticing and it looked really good and she sounded convincing. Poor Adam didn't stand a chance. But, but it looked good. And the things that have the potential to separate us from God and to hurt us and others will always look good. They'll always look good. If they didn't look good, we wouldn't get involved with them. But they'll look good. That's why the Bible says, I'm going to quote the King James because that's what I know. The Bible says, there is pleasure in sin for a season. Hey, it looks good for a while. Feels good, tastes good for a while. Then it comes back to bite you. That's why in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says this. 
Let us throw off everything that hinders. Now, here's what I really feel. As I've been speaking today, some of you have probably kind of got things come to your mind that you need to give attention to. Take that as God speaking to you nicely. Nicely. Because God doesn't speak to us to push us down. He speaks to us to lift us up. Here's what the Bible says. It says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't point things out to tell us we're worthless. God points us out because we're precious to Him. And He wants to help us put the lid on and keep the flies out of it. So if God's speaking about stuff today, don't get defensive. Thank Him that He cares for you enough to bring things to mind and ask Him to help you with those things. Your reputation is vulnerable. And then the third thing I want to say, and I, I love this part of it, by the way, if you, go, if you go to our online bulletin where the notes and the outline of today's message are, you'll find the notes of the bit I've just jumped over, okay? So we've got, we got that there, okay? So, but the third thing is this. Your reputation is redeemable. I love this bit. All right, I'm going to say that again, and, and not to try to manipulate you all, but some of you just say amen when I say that, will you? Your reputation is redeemable. Amen. I love this bit of it. I love this bit of it. There's not a single person who's ever gone too far. There's never anybody who's done anything so bad that there isn't a way back to God, that there isn't a way back to meaningful relationship with the Lord. There isn't a single soul on the face of God's earth who has totally blown it. Now, the devil will tell you at times that you've blown it. The devil will tell you you've gone too far. The devil will tell you that God doesn't care. The devil will tell you God wouldn't have you if you wanted to get close to God. But the devil's a liar and the father of lies. So, so what comes out of that is sometimes, you know, you can get into a mindset where you're hearing God's truth and saying, yeah, I don't think so. Okay, I've got a verse for you. I've always got a verse for you. Here's a great verse for you. It's in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. And God says this, come, sit down. Let's argue this out. All right, this is specifically for those of you this morning who are thinking, yeah, I don't think so. God says, you want to argue about this? Let's go, let's do this. Let's sit down. Let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Think it couldn't happen. Think it shouldn't happen think God doesn't care, God said, let's sit down and have this out, because I'm going to tell you this. And you may not think it's possible, and you may not feel as if you're worthy of it, but here's what God says. Your sin could be blood red, but I'm going to make it white like snow, snow white. That's what I'm going to do, says God. You don't think it could happen? <laughs> you're sitting in a room full of people who have seen it happen. There's the reality. Yeah, it happens, and God does it over 
and over and over and over again. And he wants us to get that point. God is a God who transforms some of the wrecks of life. And if you feel you're at the end of your rope, I'm going to tell you, your best days are still ahead of you. So if you're skeptical, oh, let's try saying that word again. If you're skeptical about God's offer to make your sins white as snow, then, then God's invitation is, come on, then, let's talk about it. Come on, let's argue this thing out. Because what you've got to realize is none of us is just tolerated by God. We are all incredibly loved by God. Amen. There is nobody... However much people say this, and I've heard this phrase over and over, there is nobody who gets to heaven by the skin of their teeth. Everybody triumphantly enters into what Christ has prepared for them. There are no second-class citizens in heaven. Everyone who is a child of God is welcomed home. So how do, you, how, how, do you, how do you redeem your reputation? Well, one thing might be I need to deal with the sin. So if there are things that have separated you from God and have messed up your life, it's, it's hey, let's deal with it. Back in that verse in Romans 12 and Hebrews 12 that I quoted, it says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If sin is something that's pulling you down, Bible's real straightforward on this. If we confess our sin, God is faithful, God is just. He will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Red like crimson, white like snow. Red like crimson, white like snow. New beginnings happen in this place. And today for some of you can be your day of new beginnings. There's a way back. There's always a way back. In the book of Acts, there's the story of how God transformed a God-hating, church-hating murderer who was known for how evil he was. But God transformed him. And he made him into the apostle Paul whose reputation then became that he was a fearless lover of God and a fierce advocate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's Paul, that's not me. Now, God's got no favorites, no favorites. That story's in the Bible, just so you know what God can do. And what God did there, God can do for you. One final Bible verse let me share with you. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. How about that? There you go. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. This, this is what God wants us to be. This is what God wants us to do. Since, since, since the only glimpse some people will get of how Jesus is, is what they see in us. So here's what God wants us to do. Go out into this world uncorrupted. Keep your reputation in place. Guard it. A breath of fresh air. I lost it. Here it is. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. 
provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Isn't that fantastic stuff? That's what God wants us to do. Church isn't all about what happens here on a Sunday morning. It's about what comes next. And what comes next is carry the light-giving message into the night. Make sure your light shines. Don't let things obscure it or put it out. Guard your reputation, but be a breath of fresh air. This world's a mess. Be a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Let's pray together.